Hi everybody, this is Matt again. I would like to just welcome everybody and hope that this finds everyone well. Um, this is the beginning of episode 2 of the AV Praise Blogcast series. What I'd like to discuss today, as mentioned in the welcome, is the basics. The idea behind this is very simple. Some churches, some ministries might not even be qualified as a church, but they may start out on such a basic level that they have to incorporate very minimal audiovisual, and I'm hoping that this podcast may apply to them. So I'd like to take just a minute to address the basics and some simple questions. First off, what would qualify as audiovisual technical, just in general? So what I'd like to take a minute to discuss is, um, it could be something as simple as a Bluetooth speaker or a plugged-in speaker, along with a television. Uh, for instance, a ministry, like a small group ministry, may meet in someone's house. Well, they may want to present something, and they may have to plug in their MacBook or laptop to a television, which could incorporate sound through the TV or sound through a Bluetooth speaker or a plugged-in speaker like a guitar amp. It doesn't have to be this nice $100,000 sound system like you see at concerts. It doesn't even have to be uh, a projection system like you would see at most places. So fundamentally what qualifies as audiovisual? Again, anything you plug in or use as a support device to make the sound better understood, uh, more audible, or the visuals to make them more presentable such as the lyrics up on a screen or a presentation for a speaker uh, to present his speaker notes, that kind of thing. But in the recent years we've also added a new line into audio, audiovisual, which is the technical side. So I'd like to take a minute to just stop right there and talk about the technical side of audiovisual. What is the technical side? Well, this would be the addition of the networking components, the computers, the iPads, the anything that is used to supplement the music or the speaking or anything that is used in a service. Uh, for example, we in our church utilize an iPad for using multi-tracks or loops or even referred to as pads. Uh, the reason we do this is because it actually fills the, the music side up more when you're missing musicians or perhaps you have enough musicians but certain musicians might not be as experienced as others. So what we do is we use what are called multi-tracks. We use one, this is not a plug, but we use loopcommunity.com. Uh, a previous drummer introduced us to this and we kind of fell in love with it because they developed an app for an iPad or an Android tablet called Prime. Well this allows us to purchase multi-track device, uh, multi-track loops, that kind of thing. Um, these are utilized uh, for songs. They are broken up into the different parts of the songs and these allow us to take advantage of extra parts like strings that you might not be able to accommodate on a stage on any given Sunday or Wednesday or whenever you meet. These also allow you to incorporate special synth tracks. Um, I'll use David Crowder as an example. Um, his band has mastered the art of using loops and synths within their music and a lot of people would consider that kind of the new sound so to speak. Well, from an audiovisual perspective, this is crucial because we have to incorporate that tech into our week-in and week-out performances and, and services. Well, from the ministry angle, this is truly good because some churches can't afford to pay 15 musicians. They barely can afford to pay a couple. 
Some ministries may not afford to pay at all, so you're relying solely on volunteers. Well, in this particular case, you would be hard-pressed to find a synth musician who's comfortable with Ableton and keys that's not just a hobbyist uh, college student, so to speak. So what we have to do is on the tech side, we have to incorporate that. So what we do is we run the iPad at the board, um, and we incorporate these multi-tracks to fill in gaps where one week we may only have one guitarist, another we may have two guitarists. We may have a drummer, but we might need percussion for one song. So again, this just, your basics could be what is audiovisual. Well, it could be the audio, it could be the visual, or it could be the technology associated. Um, basically what it boils down to is it's not as straightforward as it sounds or as it used to be. Used to be audiovisual was pretty straightforward. You had a projector or a television or something and you had a soundboard, but clearly things have changed. You also now have networking equipment such as Wi-Fi routers that allow you to manage the audiovisual and tech components remotely. For instance, uh, some wireless microphones allow you to manage them over a network now. Well, this comes in increasingly handy when you have 20 wireless mics or 5 or 10 and you have frequencies that fight each other. You may want to manage them via the network versus having to actually go look at the screens because they might be at the front versus the back, that kind of thing. So what we'll do is we'll move from that and we'll discuss, okay, we've talked about music versus audiovisual. Well, what qualifies as music versus audiovisual? Well, to me, it's as simple as what is used for a musician to perform versus what is used as a supporting device for the system. So, for instance, in our setup, the keyboard, that's part of the musician's required equipment to play. We also draw the line in amplifiers. A bass guitar cannot be heard without an amplifier or a sound system of some sort. So we hand off the amplifier to the musician side and we don't consider that part of the audiovisual, although technically it is. Um, we also go to the next level, like I said, uh, we have iPads and things like that. Well, we, incorpor we incorporate those into our audiovisual tech lineup. Um, we also incorporate a Mac in our case, but it could be a PC or a Mac or whatever you want it to be for displaying the lyrics. We use a piece of software, not to plug it, but we particularly use ProPresenter because it was cross-platform at the time and it was the only one. Well, we've grown into it and most places use that now. So ProPresenter is basically a piece of software that allows you to import songs into it. It also allows you to import videos, um, MP3s, uh, whatever you want to do, pictures, and put them into a presentation like a PowerPoint, but native to ProPresenter. Well, this all falls under the audiovisual tech umbrella. So just fundamentally, again, anything can be audiovisual or technical as long as it's used as a supporting device or a piece of software that allows us to better serve the ministry on Sundays, Wednesdays, Tuesdays, whatever day it may fall on. So from there, I'd like to uh, just take a minute to discuss the options that are available. The options that can be used for audiovisual or technical are very wide-ranging. Um, these options will depend heavily on your budget, the size of your venue, um, honestly your preference. Uh, some options work well for many things and they may not be designed for something, but let's just be honest, keep it simple as a good methodology to use. So I'll take a minute just to break down the options. Let's get real high level. 
okay, the highest level I can do is a PA system versus a live sound system. Um, that has been kind of great in many years, but the reality is the, the fundamental side of it is still valid. What is a PA versus a live sound system? Uh, some may call it sound reinforcement. Okay, a PA system is basically a public address system by definition. What this means is when you go to a civic center, they may utilize what is called a public address system. A public address is basically what it sounds like. It's to address the public. It is designed more for a microphone, um, just to announce to like a congregation, a wrestling rink, uh, a hockey rink, that kind of thing, or play MP3s through. But in most scenarios, a true PA system does not utilize a live band at any time. Um, that's where the area gets a little great because by definition, most sound systems would qualify as a PA system. The sound reinforcement or the live sound aspect is brought in when you're referring to sound systems that are used primarily for band setups, things such as that. Okay, the difference is the PA system might be just basically a line array or a simple set of speakers. It sounds very good when you plug in a CD player or something like that, but when you use a, what's called a line level source, which a CD player, you get a very pure signal, whereas if you use instrument level or mic level, you may not get as pure of a signal over long runs and uh, things of that nature. So what it boils down to is, what are your needs? Um, I would say the play it safe works here, and generally if you don't know, pick a sound reinforcement because it can do both. Um, but what you do not want to do is to go get, for instance, a 70 volt or a 40 volt line of speakers and try to use them to reproduce a band on a regular basis. What I mean by that is when you go into some buildings, they have the speakers in the ceiling. Um, and they have a uh, what can be a 24 volt or a 40 volt or a 70 volt system that can push those speakers. Most work well for just playing background music like you're in a doctor's office or just to send out a notification from like a phone system. What they do not work well for is live band direct signals, mixing, that kind of thing. So I won't spend too much time on that, but that is one of the options that you have to consider. Um, some of the other options that come up are computers and tech options. Well. I mentioned a little earlier ProPresenter. We use that one, but there are other options such as MediaShout. Uh, I have used that in the past. That is a great program. It was, just wasn't multi-platform at the time. But the bottom line is these pieces of software are all relatively similar. They allow you to do images, video, MP3s, lyrics, things like that, and project them on multiple screens. Well, as technology grows, those options become more and more crucial because if you want a giant screen, it may be more cost-effective to use new technology like enhanced projection, which stitches together multiple screens, versus just trying to buy a giant projector, which could be tens of thousands of dollars. Well, ProPresenter versus MediaShout, you may have a limitation in one or the other where one does enhanced projection, others don't. ProPresenter, for instance, works with SDI, which is a technology that allows you to send video over coaxial cable, whereas MediaShout may not. I don't know if it does. I haven't used it recently, so I can't speak to that. But that could be a decision that you have to make. Uh, another option you have to consider is whether to use a digital or analog board. Um, this also brings in a digital or an analog snake. They're not mutually exclusive, but they are a core decision that has to be made. A lot of ministries and churches really push this decision off and stick with analog, which has been around for decades, as opposed to going to digital, which is where your mainstream live sound gigs, so to speak, have gone pretty 
heavily because the money is there. G digital is newer, and thus, when it came out, it was more expensive. But the truth is, the cost has generally equaled out as we've gotten further into the technology. Digital brings with it a lot of benefits. Um, those benefits may or may not be worth it to your ministry or to your uh, small group or whatever it is you want to support, depending on the cost or the cost and effort combined, because digital does have a steep learning curve with it. You can ask anybody who's ever adopted it. It looks great until you plug it in and you have to figure out where all the buttons and where all the bells and whistles are. To stop and talk about digital versus analog. Um, I'll go into more detail in another episode that I'll probably devote entirely to this conversation. But a lot of people, um, some of you that are listening to this, may have a question, well, what dictates whether you go digital or analog? As I mentioned, um, cost and effort are huge deciding factors, but the reality is there's just so many things you cannot do with analog that you can do with digital. For example, digital is all about routing. You can literally route any signal in a digital board virtually anywhere you want to in the digital board within reason. Um, the board manufacturers are generally pretty good about restricting the board from being routed in a way that is non-meaningful, and we'll just leave it at that. We use a Behringer digital board at my church, and we have come to love it. Um, it's a very cost-effective in entry-level digital setup, and basically what it boils down to is we have the capability now to send all of or part of the channels that we have to different places. For instance, we can send them to the in-ear mixers, personal mixers that the uh, stage musicians use. We have the ability to send them to different matrices, which could equate to an overflow room, a nursery, a recording, things like that. Well, on an analog setup, you had these capabilities, but it usually required what we lovingly refer to as trickeration. Um, you could use subgroups, you could use auxiliary sends, um, and I'll get more into these in the other episode when I talk about analog versus digital, but the bottom line is, if you're getting into sound, or even if you've been in it a while and you've got a board in your system, you have to make the decision at some point on whether you want to go digital or not. So from there, we'll move on to another option that is related, but again, not mutually exclusive. A digital snake versus an analog snake. Obviously, a digital snake would be needed if you wanted to go all digital, but you can run analog snakes even into a digital board. You cannot run a digital snake into an analog board, so obviously there are limitations. But the beauty of a digital snake is it allows you to send all of your channels up to a certain amount, depending on the technology, over a Cat5 network cable. Obviously this has huge benefits in a church or a civic organization or whatnot, or even in live sound outside for giant events. Because now that thick snake that has to run 150 feet to the board can be replaced with a single or dual with fault tolerance, meaning that it can recover and flip from one to the other, signal on a very small cable and they're even experimenting with wireless technology to even replace that altogether. Um, I'm very skeptical of the wireless at this point just because, as most of you listening probably have run into, wireless is still very young. And while it is solid in your house, it can be very troublesome um, when you talk about frequencies and different technologies and things like that. So anyway, we'll move on to that. Um, Again, we talked about another option was live sound versus uh, PA, whether you're using live bounds, bands, 
I'll leave it at that. Um, another option you might have to consider as you go through this process is a sound booth. Um, do you use one at all? What type? Do you elevate it? Um, is it soundproofed? Is it glass protected? Are you using studio monitors or are you just doing an in-room sound booth? I'm not going to get into the specifics of what's the best because that will be for another episode plus there's so many opinions on that but I think the general consensus is you want your sound booth at the front of house which is considered where you walk in um, typically but it's basically on the opposite end of the room from the stage you would like it elevated at least a couple of feet 18 inches to 24 inches minimum and you would like it to be protected somewhat as far as boarding and sound absorption if possible um, you have to remember you're going to be running video cameras potentially from there you're going to have possibly microphones for real-time analysis uh, you're going to have to do recordings on the fly and you have computers up there so it needs to be protected it needs to be secured um, these kind of things can walk off very easily even in a ministry unfortunately so uh, basically when you're considering your sound booth options those are some of the options another is whether to elevate it in up in the air some churches and ministries choose to put it up in a balcony for convenience it's not always the best solution but it can be done very well if you're willing to invest a little bit into the speaker setup and things such as that the last I guess true option you have to consider is your visuals which is your projector your enhanced projection your TVs that kind of thing um, we'll look specifically at projectors first all right do you go with high definition standard definition um, we'll talk about that for a second well a high def projector is pretty much standard now so the cost is what you would have paid a few years ago for a standard def you pay for a high def now so unless you have a reason not to my suggestion is to go with high def because that's what the world is selling right now um, standard def is still very useful um, the biggest problem I run into is computer monitors are high def by default now. So when people are building these presentations, these pro presenters, these media shouts, they're typically doing it adjusted to their computer resolution, which is high def. So you'll run into problems as we did when we first started where the person doing the presentation and the prep work sets it up in high def and then saves it. And when you import it into your sanctuary or wherever your performance is going to happen or your your message or whatever it has to convert it to standard def well this changes the fonts it changes the spacing so as far as an option is concerned I would just focus primarily on um, high def if you can if you're stuck with standard def you just need to build your processes around allowing for adjusting from one to the other Another option is whether you network your projectors uh, or if you used what's called enhanced projection. Well, enhanced projection is still pretty pricey and it's pretty new. I don't generally recommend it for small to medium-sized applications because it does require some degree of expertise to run it as well as build it. This is where you take multiple monitors, multiple screens, and you stitch them together. Stitching is where you take two images that spread across both monitors and you line them up perfectly like you would if you were stitching a piece of fabric. If you ever go to like an aquarium or a big show or something like that, you may see enhanced projection on the ceiling where they do some decorative design with the wall and it looks like they're showing a projector on it. Well, that could very well be enhanced projection where the projector is actually incorporated into the fabric or into the 
the the wall piece so again these are the last options that you would look at for your visuals um, obviously your cabling and stuff whether you use HDMI things like that that will depend on what you choose as far as your projectors your TVs your your projection techniques it will also depend on your length um, obviously if your projectors at the front and your soundboards at the back you can't run a 100 foot HDMI cable so you have to look at new technologies SDI is the main one right now so we'll dive into that more when we talk about the actual technologies um, in a different episode one other thing I'd like to talk about when I uh, talk about the basics um, I just take a minute we'll delve into it more in the future but one of the things that I get asked the most is as a sound man as a computer tech as an audio tech how do you worship when you're back there and the answer is it's not as easy as it sounds but different people worship in different ways um, for instance most people consider worshiping when you're in the congregation and you release you let go and from a ministry perspective this is a a key question a key discussion um, I would love to just sit back at the soundboard and let go and raise my hands and praise and things like that but the reality is if you take your hands away from the soundboard for more than a minute you're probably gonna regret it so the bottom line is the question is valid how do you worship as a sound man well the reality is sometimes your worship is serving God and doing your job that he called you to do is the way you worship for instance I also play guitar I play acoustic I play electric I play bass um, play a little bit of drums and cajon I can worship just as easily when I'm doing these when I'm playing these instruments as I play because I can kind of just let go and release and and the expertise is there to be able to pick up and keep going well on the soundboard I'm at the same level if not further along so there are many times if you were to sit in our congregation and look back at the soundboard you would see me with my hands on the board but leaning back and praising praising God well this is where the ministry side of the AB Tech and the primary focus of this podcast kinda of deviates you can do that in the secular side but the reality is the ministry side the God is what the missing component and what we're talking about so what I like to do is I like to really prep up front to get everything set so that it's almost automated and all I'm doing is making small tweaks at that point I can kinda of take a step back and just let it ride so to speak so at that point I'll leave that as the last basic uh, as we talk about the basics as I'm doing air quotes <laughs> um, as you consider these options you have to consider what level of effort what level of time what level of investment you need but also what level of effort it is to actually run the sound system week to week if you're worried that you're going to be so tied down in fear of a digital board or whatever well that may dictate what you buy what type of equipment you buy because you may want to just sit back and use an analog board and enjoy the show more so to speak but one thing to keep in mind at the end of all this is technology does change and it doesn't stop. 